and gentlemen, welcome to Eat, Sleep, Suplex Retweet. Happy New Year, everyone, and welcome to the first Central of the Year here on Eat, Sleep, Suplex Retweet. My name's Ross McLeod. And it's nice to know that 2022 was mental and that 2023 is going to be a nice, quiet year, I think. I think, no, no, Vince is back and WWE's gone to the Saudis. Anyway, uh, before we jump into all that, I am joined by Scott McLeod. Scott, how are you? Hello, Ross. I am advised to tell you that uh, ESSR Central has been sold off to the uh, the people of Turkey, the private fund. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, apparently I wasn't supposed to tell you about it. That's not finalised yet. <laughs> well, Merabab to all my listeners out there. And if you want to listen to more of the content, which is very turkey positive, you can find our massive back catalogue on Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet, iTunes, Anchor, Spotify, and Android podcasting sites, at Suplex Retweet, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, you name it, we're on it. So, on Monday, when I was trying to get someone for this show, I sent a group. Ch- I sent a photo of what we were going to be discussing uh, on Monday to the group chat before finalising Scott as my guest. And in that time, we've had to add two new stories that are straight to the top. So there's a lot of moving parts here, folks. But we'll just we'll start with the main part, and it was Vince McMahon's return to the board. Uh, this past week. Scott, who but everyone's seen this coming? <laughs> I know, I mean, the more optimistic ones among us were hoping this wasn't true. You know, there were a lot of people when it came out, he was still like the majority shareholder, but wasn't involved when he resigned back in July. There were people who were like, oh, he'll be, he'll be back, and we didn't want to believe it, and then, yeah. Pretty much by I think a lot of people have said he pretty much threatened or like held the company hostage when it came to like rights deals and media rights sales, everything like that. Basically, forcing the uh, writing letters back and forth between him and the board of directors, where basically after he didn't get the result he wanted with the first letter, basically like, listen, it's happening. Fucking deal with it. Was pretty much Vince's uh, attitude about it. And it is funny about the first like week and a half of 2023, the big, the biggest story. Has completely undone the biggest story, undoubtedly, of 2022. I, I was assuming, Ross, that Vince McMahon listened to our end of year awards. And I was talking about the shockiness of him leaving while still be alive. We're like, yeah, they're, they're right. I need to be back in WWE until the day I die. Well, I mean, there's people talking about uh, Wrestle Kingdom, which we'll talk o- touch on later on, but saying that the Omega Osprey match will not be topped, and it was on the fourth day of the year. And in the first week of the year, Vince McMahon said, hold my beer. Um, and so let, let's talk about, obviously, going back to when Vince McMahon resigned in the midst of the the scandal that he'd used, public, uh, used funds to pay off women. Uh, he stepped down as chairman of the board and in his place, uh, chairwoman and co-CEO, uh, Stephanie McMahon, along with Tony Khan, Chief of Content Creation, I believe that's his title, uh, Triple H, basically he's in charge of creative, uh, also was brought back. And it looked like this was a new era for WWE. However, Vince McMahon was still a majority shareholder. He he couldn't give up, he wasn't, he didn't have to give up those shares, but he no longer had a seat on the board. Then there was rumours this past week that WWE was considering going up for sale. Uh, the likes of Fox, Warner Brothers, Disney, Comcast, and many, many more were named in that in that list. However, Vince McMahon was writing back and forward to the board that he demanded to be reinstated to the board of directors. When not given his way, Scott mentioned, he basically said, as majority shareholder, he would block any sale until his return to the board of directors was granted. It was then on Tuesday, sorry, Monday, that Vince McMahon was unanimously uh, re-elected to the board. And then that this is the next part of the story. Stephanie McMahon has fully resigned as chairwoman, 
leading Vince McMahon to be put back in charge as executive chairman of WWE. Uh, he has nothing to do with creative. He doesn't, apparently he's not going to be in Stanford. He's not going to be working there. Uh, but he is now, again, chairman of the board with uh, Nick Khan as COO. Uh, Stephanie McMahon released a statement on Twitter saying that, mentioning her uh, leave of absence she was going to take before the scandal last year with Vince McMahon broke. Uh, she has then decided to take her, she, her words, take my leave one step further by stepping down and resigning from the board and as chairwoman of WWE. She mentions Nick Khan, Vince McMahon and Triple H leading the WWE into an exciting time in the future and mentioning that it's in good hands. So Vince McMahon is now back as chairman and Stephanie McMahon is no more. I know. Isn't it funny, like a couple of weeks shy of exactly a year when Vince was forced to fire Shane because he kept trying to book the rumble to suit himself. Vince's other child has been forced, well, not forced, but it's a part of the company. So Vince McMahon has outlasted his own children in like top positions in the WWE. So, you know, I was going to show how mental this story is. And you know, like the you know, like people talking about and reading out the, the emails that apparently were going back and forth between WWE and the board of directors and Vince. And basically the board of directors were kind of saying like, well, we don't think it's wise that you be involved in this, you know, when the allegations were still pending. Apparently, he was made to pay back a lot of the money that he used, like company money that he used, like to for these house payments, and he hasn't. He's barely paid any of it back. So obviously, they didn't want that over them. And you did see that why because you know the Wall Street Journal's reporting on a lot of this. So mainstream media is getting involved. It's going to be a big story. Are we getting sold? If it's to one of these major conglomerates that you mentioned. So obviously, for PR wise, having Vince in the in the wake of all this scandal, not being around is pretty much. Well, it was good. It was pretty much the Dewey's letter back to Vince was a case of when you don't want you don't want someone at your party, but they found out you're holding a party and you're kind of trying to make it seem like you don't like. No, we do want you. We just think it'd be awkward because you know John's there. And you don't get along with John, and then if John knows you're coming, he <laughs> might not bring Stacey, and we all like Stacey. Um, <laughs> we basically forced his way back in. WWE, Stephanie, Triple H all like put up really glowing positive layers about how great it was to have him back, but. When you read the language, it very much sounds like there was favourites through Gritty Tea. Like, we're so happy to have him back at this time. And He's like Michael Scott in the office when Jim hosts a barbecue and Michael Scott finds out through hacking everyone's computer. <laughs> and Jim says he's not invited because he'll make everyone uncomfortable. And then Michael Scott just shows up and starts singing on the karaoke. <laughs> That's Vince. Vince has just walked into Stanford and started trying to do a duet and no one's getting up. Shane's not getting up. Triple H is not getting up. Stephanie's not getting up. What he's done is he's walked back to the boardroom. Like that scene in Seinfeld where George quits and he really... <laughs> it's walked back in like, what, me? No, you didn't take any of that seriously, did you? But, like, for, like, the board, like he took a couple of members, like off the board, which he threw some loophole, which say he was allowed to do so without giving cause. And they reinstated, I'm not going to say the names off the top of my head, but the two members of the board that he they reinstated were basically, it seemed like they were being put on because they would support Vince. So basically, that's two votes for him in terms of getting him back unanimously you know, as chairman of the board. But these two people from the board, interestingly, they were co presidents of the company. They were removed from their position in 2019. And their position was combined and given to Nick Khan. So, so now they're back. And Nick Khan is just increasingly going up the ladder. I mean, he and Triple H, so like the last two survivors in a fucking horror movie, Stephanie's gone, Shane's gone, all these other people are gone, and it's just Vince and these two left at the top. But it's, it's fucking Vince. Brian Cox and Sensation. You're not allowed to be in here. Fuck off. Pick a, pick a vote. Yes or no? <laughs> I mean... I've not watched Succession. Everyone talks about how much this is like it, and I'm sure it would be. I'd, I've, I, with, with, with this story, if I tried to watch Succession, I'd probably turn off like, no, I can't handle it. It's too real. It's too real. <laughs> um, the funny thing, you mentioned like there's a big list there, thin, like people talking about Disney and all that uh, taking over. Also, when that list came out of potential companies that were interested in buying it, I love that MJF then sent out a tweet. He's like, I think it's time to show my appreciation for the following, and then just put out the same list. 
so this was before Stephanie left that Vince McMahon was re-elected and did bring back George Barrios and Michelle Wilson. Uh, I'm just seeing, I can't get the names of the people who have departed. Uh, but yes, recent, so three left who, well, they, they're obviously the, the people that would have voted against McMahon. And he's brought back the two people that basically got Nick Khan's job. Basically, like, do you want your job back? Yeah, right, you're in my corner. I'm interested to see, because Nick Khan did seem close to Vince in terms of Vince. Like, Nick Khan did seem to be somebody that Vince would listen to when he was there, because I think Nick was behind kind of cutting a lot of people, which a lot of people were saying back then, that's them stripping assets to get ready for a sale, which did seem to be the ultimate goal now, that Vince had his heart set originally on giving it to his family, but then got an idea to sell it. And now that he's out, he's now wanting back in to make sure that's complete. But so I'm interested if like Nick would have voted for or against Vince, because obviously Nick's got to see firsthand what the company's like with and without Vince in charge, obviously in his capacity as co CEO with, with Stephanie. But there are a couple of other board members that actually just I think willingly resigned because I don't think they wanted Vince back. One of them, I can't remember his name, but he came over from Dewey after being like a, a one of the presidents of Sony and helping them expand into India, which is probably why WWE wants him because they've tried and failed to do that several times. But apparently he was, I mean, what's interesting is that he was uh, one of the people helping head up the internal investigation events. So once again, that's another obstacle in events, one of the people leading the investigation into the allegations against them and him potentially using company money to hush up those, those allegations is now being removed. Like, why you just come in and snapped half the board away like fucking Thanos? <laughs> so sorry, it wasn't three, it was two uh, members of the board that uh, that announced that they would be resigning. Sorry, just seeing the names here. Uh, so Matt Jeet Singh, he came over for Sony, and no. Ingus Lahoud uh, have both resigned uh, effective immediately and been replaced by George Barrios and Michelle Wilson. Uh, you mentioned, obviously, they're heading up the investigation. Uh, George, uh, George, Michelle and Vince have all returned to assist with upcoming US media rights negotiation and to pursue a sale of the promotion. However, his return, this, before we get into anything else, uh, could lead to a potential lawsuit According to PW Insider, a party in the WWE shareholder derivative suit filed last June has shared a private email from the Scott and Scott law firm. See Michael Scott back at it again, which contained details about the potential breach of fiduciary lawsuit. Excuse me if I mispronounced that. The message indicates that the news about McMahon forcing his way back onto the board, there's enough basis to bring legal action. The online correspondent also disclosed that Scott and Scott hope to file a complaint against McMahon, against McMahon and possible other directors slash officers for breaching their duties to WWE and its shareholders, with the law firm aiming to produce a draft within the next few days. So he's back. He's not going to interfere. He's back ahead of the board. Stephanie's away. Two other members are away. His pals are back, but there's a lawsuit coming. Yeah. And I think uh, being the majority shareholder, whether or not he was involved in the details of negotiating the sale, he would have to give approval. So he thought, I need to give approval. I might as well be involved properly because Vince doesn't do, get involved in anything unless he can have a big share of the control in it. We've learned that from his, from his history. And also from what I've heard that a big reason for him getting himself back on the board and have a big role like as chairman is because it would be harder for him to get back in if he waited until after the sale. So he's on the board during the sale. They might keep him around as chairman or as a shareholder like under the new like company, whoever is that buys the the company. Whereas if the new company takes so like say Disney and then Vince tries to come back in, Disney or Netflix, whoever buys it might say well, you know, we'd like to have you in the board, but again, we know about the allegations and everything. So if he's involved in it before the sale and can establish a relationship with whoever buys it, he then gets the money from it, which unlike Vince needs money at the minute. And, you know, he manages to stay involved in the thing he created. Yeah, it's it's a weird one. So 
And it gets weirder because then uh, news broke. Uh, so there was multiple sources reporting this, but the main source was Steve Mulhausen from the Zone um, mentioned that WWE had been sold, not was being sold, but had been sold to the Saudi Arabian Sports Authority, uh, who own Newcastle United as well as other uh, many other things, the uh, rival to the PGA Golf Tour and more. Um, had been sold to them and was going to return to a private company with Vince McMahon returning to head of creative. The Saudi, yeah. the Saudi Arabia Public Investment Fund, that's what it was. Yeah. And the best thing about this is that Paddy Power tweet mentioning the Saudi <laughs> investment bank. And it goes, an early story, Newcastle on the verge of saying the rock works there and bam, bam, Bigelow. <laughs> Live golf, that's what it was. That'll be Liv Morgan's new gimmick. Crossover. <laughs> uh, her, her catchphrase is watch me with the tag tagline I added on to because no one watches Live Golf. Watch me, please, somebody. <laughs> yeah, and then news breaking later in the day after after a lot of um a lot of rumour, a lot of a lot of people being unhappy about it, certain talent being unhappy about it. Uh, Brandon Thurston saying that a, a well-placed source within WWE says no such deal is even in the process of happening and that WWE is still exploring all options uh, and looking for the best partner. Uh, Ariel Hawaii saying that there's no deal of any type and the report is completely false. This is just absolutely mental. This is... Um, we mentioned... Uh, when planning this show out in the group chat, that we might do Central on Monday this week because there's going to be so much more that comes out of this. Even while we're on air, I think we're going to um, we're going to have the Central curse happen multiple times here. Yeah, because like we kept debating when to do the show, what day this weekend. Like I think we just said like we're going to do it tonight. We're going to, we had to bite the bullet because it didn't. It felt like no matter what day we ended up doing recording. It wasn't going to matter because something was going to break like as soon as we record or just as it goes up. So we might as well just you know do it now while while well, we still got enough to talk about as it is because otherwise God knows how much more we'd have to we'd have to talk about. Oh, for God's sake! And then more more news story. So uh, uh, WWE Chief International Executive Vince McMahon is facing investor litigation over claims that he pushed aside the board to illegally install himself as chairman. A shareholder sued McMahon in Delaware's Chancery Court, accusing him of wielding his 81% voting to control sorry, to oust three board members, uh, Stephanie and the other two we, membered, uh, we mentioned, sorry, replace them with loyalists and push through a bylaw change that would impose his will on the board and WWE. A spokesperson from McMahon and WWE didn't immediately respond for, uh, to a request for comment. Uh, the dispute comes about six months after Vince McMahon obviously stepped down, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Jesus Christ, I'm just looking at more here. Um, plaintiff Scott A. Fellows uh, has launched a class action lawsuit against Vincent Kennedy McMahon. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I know. I think another thing with Vince being involved in why he wanted involved is I'm pretty sure whoever's like in charge of like whoever's at the head of the whatever company buys them, uh, they would get like the they would probably have the majority share in the company, which means again Vince's power would be diminished. So Vince is trying to fight, make sure he has a position under whoever you know, on the board under whoever like buys the company. It does feel like I think the real reason this came out is because I'm assuming this is one of the companies interested in buying it, but not obviously nothing is official yet. I wouldn't be surprised if they did make a bid because of the success of WWE in Saudi Arabia. And like, like that last one with Logan Paul, like the most successful one they've done so far. Yeah. Um, you know, this is how quickly the news moves that on Monday... It looked like a quiet show. Uh, the, the headlines were WWE up for sale, Money in the Bank comes to UK, Darby Allen wins TNT title, Impact Wrestling hard to kill preview. And that was it. It looked like a quiet show. But 
so so much to talk about on this, but there's going to be more breaking. So we will we will probably have another central coming to you, another Vince cast to yeah. use a John Isherwood's trademark. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, I ask you though, like, what do you think the odds are on, on a Vince return to career? Because I think as soon as like a lot of this is to do with the business side of it and the implications of Derry being sold. Like, there's still a lot to think about there. I think a lot of people's minds instantly went to Vince's back in the of and ever all the good well that Vince, that Triple H has done in the last six months would be undone. Because I think that's what we think about in terms of the people who watch this, but like, there's also so much more there. And Vince has said he's not involved in fear, he just wants to help oversee the, the sale of the company. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what do you think the likelihood is there? Because Vince has tried to take away from creative and handle just business stuff before, even way back as in, in the 90s, but he's never been able to help himself, especially as we're He's, he's coming back well, what, right at the most important time for the company, Rumble to Mania season, so how likely do you think is he'll keep his word about not getting involved in creative? You know, Triple H took ill before Vince McMahon stepped into NXT. Vince McMahon allowed NXT to be its own thing from 2012 to 2020, and or sorry, late 2021, and it was only because uh, Triple H took unwell that he, he came in and did that. I I think with the spotlight on him, the news that's just broke about um, the lawsuit against him and the fact that he he's gave his word to the board, he's he's going to have to be careful. He can't just immediately write them back. Uh, right, Roman Reigns gets every title. He, he's going to have to be slow and work his way maybe back in. But I don't. I don't see it as a out of the realm possibility that he won't come back in to creative. I, I, I think part of the reason that Triple H is stuck with the plan, supposedly of Rock Roman, because it's one of the few Vince ideas he agreed with. But not only that, I think he was preparing himself for the idea of Vince going back. Because as long as Vince comes back and sees that Rock Roman's still happening at Mania, Triple's like, all right, I can do that, and quietly I can do whatever I want. With the rest of the card, I can pick all my favourites, all my NXT guys on the uh, the rest of the card. I can do what I want with Sami Zayn on the undercard. But yeah, because I saw the story was that Vince announced his intentions to come back and did mention being a voluntary of the stock briefly dips before going back up again when it was it looked like it wasn't going to happen. Then when he says he's come back for the business side, the stock goes up for an impending sale and then dips when it when, it, when everyone found out the Saudi deal wasn't true. So, you know, I think it feels like Vince is choosing his words carefully, where, like, you think in the back of his mind he wants to be involved in creative. But if he tells everybody, everybody will will probably kick off about it. But, yeah, I'm hopeful as well that he doesn't just, like, immediately step back in creative. But, but you know, I th- you'd think whoever's going to buy it will, like, need somebody to run it for them. Like, they're not going to be involved in the day-to-day running of it. So I need people like Triple H around. So I think we can still, those who are still fans of Triple H will probably still be happy with what happens on on TV, but again, you never know what's going to happen. Yeah, it's... Um, we'll move on to something now, because I thought this was going to be the, the biggest story of the week, um, and what a fool I've been, but WWE is coming back to the UK for a pay-per-view uh, and it's bringing one of its big five money in the bank is coming to the O2 Arena in London, the 14th, uh, 14th Money in the Bank show. And it's going to take place Saturday, the 1st of July. Uh, Fightful Select reported that with the success of Clash at the Castle, WWE would likely easily sell out a stadium for what they consider one of their big five shows. One WWE source say they view the O2 Arena as the MSG of England, and it was a venue they wanted to travel to. Another source indicated that running a show of this magnitude helps establish the importance of Money in the Bank as one of their biggest pay-per-views. We spoke before, Scott, the rumours that Triple H wanted to move uh, Money in the Bank back to um, back to uh, WrestleMania. That's obviously not happening now with at getting its own pay-per-view. Are you excited? Are you? Would you like to have seen more, a bigger stadium close to it, or how do you feel about it? Uh, I'm really excited about it. I remember like, there was a lot of chat about it. 
uh, like rumblings. I think it was Alex McCarthy who got like break the story, and then immediately, immediately there was a poster and a big press release from WWE to like it's official and everything. Uh, they could have easily probably filled the stadium given the set of Classic Castle, and plus I think the demand, even though we can. There's still plenty of promotions, not as much as a few years ago, plenty of promotions in the UK and plenty of access to wrestling over here. The demand for live wrestling, especially from places like WWE, is still huge. And I think, obviously, you know, you can argue that it's going to be a great year for the UK given the AEW schedule to come over here in the summer as well. But, yeah, they could, they could have easily sold a stadium if, like, McClash Castle then they go by. I think maybe the fact that they were going to do a stadium show for this in America last year and then had to move it to a smaller arena. I think the embarrassment from that is like, you know, like we've done the O2 many times. We like that arena. Like you said, they think it was the MSG of London or the UK. So like they went with the saver bet and they know they'll easily sell it out. And also there'll be people still in the UK who can't go to it and watch it around the world. And so I'm looking forward to it. I do, I did like everybody joking about it. Like it's kind of a slap in the face during a cost of living crisis for WWE to come to us with a show called Money in the Bank. With a bunch of notes on the on the poster, which are immediately outdated now that we've got the now that we've got a king. But uh, one thing about this also, like, is Triple H said in that press conference after I think it was after Survivor Series or Clash Castle, one of the two, that about you know banning like not doing all these like shows around a gimmick match, and like other than the ones you can't challenge somebody one on one because oh Hell in a Cell TLC won't be have their own previews, but like. You can't challenge somebody one-on-one to an elevation chamber or money in the bank. So keeping those as pay-per-views, I think, still works as an idea. But I like the fact he's 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 changing it up and creating some more interest in it by giving them an international flair. So like this in the UK, elevation chamber is going to be in Canada. So I think that's what you should do. I think they should be taking more of their established pay-per-views overseas, like not just doing like shows specifically created for that market, like Classic Castle. Because outside of coming back to the UK. Every so often, I don't think we'll get any other clashes at the castle. Like, as in, like, I said castle that's not UK-based. Bring back Rebellion, that's what I say. Anyway, um, from Money in the Bank to Wrestle Kingdom. Wrestle Kingdom, what number was it, Scott? 17, or X7, if you feel nostalgic. Wrestle Kingdom X7. You think you're special? Anyway, moving on. Um, took place January the 4th. It's a two-night event this year, isn't it? But it's taking place, like, yeah, like apart. Well, it's not the two nights the same way. The last few years have been two nights, as in, like, there's a story kind of crossing over with the main event, as it has been. Like, the other shows doesn't really need to have a risk in the name on it, but they've chosen to give it one. The other shows going on there on the 21st, I believe, of January in Yokohama Arena, which is basically another show which pits New Japan Pro Wrestling against Pro Wrestling Noah and a series of inter-promotional matches. So that'll be very fun. But yeah, in terms of the actual main Wrestle Kingdom was actual like the main New Japan story is really just one night. Ah, I see. Well, the big uh, stories coming out of this, and we'll, we'll cover this match, we'll cover this story, and then you and Grant can get into the nitty-gritty on... East Meets West Wrestle Kingdom review. Has it been recorded yet, or is it when has it been recorded? I think the plan going forward is to do like uh, East Meets West, other than uh, unless something major breaks or there's a tournament, we need to get a preview out before uh, on the first Tuesday of the month. And the first Tuesday of this month is, I think, around the 7th. And there's some big shows on the New Beginning tour right before that. So I think we're thinking of like recording, releasing it. Uh, just after those new beginning shows at the start of February, we sit then, and there's more stuff planned for February, so they can come back at the end of the month. So it's not going to be out until February, but we are. That does mean we're going to cover both the Wrestle Kingdoms New Year's Dash and the start of New Beginning because a big bunch of big matches have been announced for that. Basically, it's a case of like, oh, we've got all these new champions. Here are the first challengers. Ah, I see. So the the Big match that's been talked about, possibly a match of the year contender already. Uh, AEW's Kenny Omega going up against Will Ospreay for the United States Championship. Uh, Kenny Omega coming out the winner. Spoiler alert there. Um, Scott, what do you think of this match? What were your favourite parts of the match? And just feel free to gush about it. 
See, the, I didn't say into how I did this. Uh, I'd love to have watched it live, but the live version uh, for UK time started at 20 past six in the morning because of the time difference between us and Japan. And I thought, fuck that. So I like I had to ask Grant uh, to let me know when it finished. And he told me, I think it finished around about 11 or time. So I was out on my lunch from, from work. I was working from home. I put it on then, watched most of the car while working and then turned it off right before the last three matches so I could just like enjoy them. And I'm glad I did because this match, it goes like odd 30 odd minutes. And I think this is a match a lot of people were tuning in for, even if you haven't been watching New Japan for a while. It's, there's a lot of stuff that you expect from it. It's high paced, a lot of big spots, but it's a lot more violent than you expect it to be. The DDT on an exposed like top ring uh, turnbuckle, the stomp through the table, Will Ospreay's head being bashed into a table. These guys are pulling out styles clashes or pulling other people's finishers out. It is a lot stiffer than you expect it to be. It's fucking amazing. <laughs> it broke the star rating scale, obviously. I'm probably going to watch it back before me and Grant do a review because, you know, a lot of the time I'd argue against the Meltzer breaking the star scale and everything. And I've not always been the biggest fan of Kevin Omega, just personally, I'd, even though I always enjoy his matches, but this was absolutely so fucking perb. And you know the story has to lead to Wallace getting the belt back. And so there's going to be high expectations for the inevitable rematch, which I'm assuming they'll hold off to until maybe the summer. And you talk about breaking the, the star rating. Breaking the internet was the former Raw and SmackDown Women's Champion, Sasha Banks. She made her debut. Sasha Banks no more. It's Mercedes Money. A after the match, pitting the former Kyrie Sane, now just Kyrie, like Cher and Beyonce, all the women that rock me, defeated Big Tam Nakano eh, to retain her IWGP Women's Championship. Mercedes then made her debut. Eh, a god-awful DDT. Hopefully we'll get more <laughs> out of that. But she's made her intentions known. She's in New Japan and she's coming for the IWGP Women's Championship. Yep. Uh... I think one of the biggest travesties is not the uh, the botched uh, move, which is, as Alex McCarthy pointed out, is a lot more on Kyrie, I think, than, than Sasha, because I think uh, Kyrie lands on her knees a bit too early, and so they had to kind of panic to make up for it. But the biggest crime is that the match that proceeds between Tam and Kyrie for this newly created belt, the very first defense of this newly created belt, went five and a half minutes. <laughs> so it was only the second match on that card, which including the pre-show and a bit, a bit of a break between the pre-show and the main card went just cracked six hours and you couldn't give them a few more minutes it was a bit of a travesty but if you watch the match they crammed 20 minutes worth of spots into five minutes so it was still a hell of a watch and then yeah the fans came out in like full gear full on entrance you know mercedes money you say money i say money uh the came full gear and everything like they said oh she's dressed to wrestle so like are you gonna get a hulk hogan at wrestlemania nine situations she's gonna win the belt right here <laughs> <laughs> and then she comes out. A lot of people again don't seem to get, even though only certain sections could see. I don't get how Japanese crowds work. Like, oh God, the crowd didn't seem to care. They're not allowed to. They're not allowed to speak. Uh, <laughs> and then, yeah, they announced the show. We thought it was going to be. Me and Grant were speculating that the rumors about rumors that they were going to hold off because it's a big star show in April. Because other than like shows in Japan, like and New Japan, like uh, Wrestle Kingdom and Dominion. You're primarily going to see the show on Japan shows in the US or on Stardom. So we said, oh, the hold off tape will give Kyrie a few months of champion. No, February 18th, Battle in the Valley in San Jose, where Sasha's best friend just happens to live. They're uh, going to have the, the match. No, and I wouldn't be surprised because, you know, there were about half, it sold half the tickets before Wrestle Kingdom. When this match was announced, they pretty much sold out the venue. So, you know, and, this match is the main I think, draw of that show. The only other match for the main card that's been announced is Kenta challenging Fred Ross for the strong openweight belt. But I could easily buy Mercedes in our first New Japan match, sit there, main event in the card. Yeah, especially in America, um, it wouldn't exactly be out of the out of the question. <clears throat> uh, other. Noteworthy uh, moments, just spoiler alerts here. I'm just going to quickly read some results that are noteworthy and then Scott and Grant will obviously go into detail next time they're on uh, East Meets West. 
Uh, Zack Sabre Jr. won the inaugural New Japan World Television Championship Tournament. He's the first ever New Japan World Television Champion. Uh, Okada, done it again. Thrilling. <laughs> uh, defeating Jay White to win the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship. Uh, Tamatonga defeats Carl Anderson uh, for the Never Openweight Championship. Carl Anderson, the first ever WWE contracted superstar to wrestle at Wrestle Kingdom. Uh, and yeah, that's that's just about it. I'll leave the rest for you guys to to jump into. Anything you'd like to maybe discuss or moan about or uh, I think there's a lot anything I have to moan about I'll moan about uh, on the show. So yeah, like I'll come to you, the show episode will come to you at some point early February because most of the new beginnings big matches will have happened by that point. So we can it's a nice like halfway point for us to amongst the business start of the year that New Japan's got, but a couple of things I want to highlight is uh, the fact that Zaxi not only is a new TV champion, but he's taken over as the new leader of TMDK, alongside Mikey Nicholas and Shade Hayes, the former uh, TM61 in NXT, and then randomly, even though he's not finished being a young lion yet, Zaxi Rujiro grabbed one of the young lions the next night and basically said, like, you're uh, you're with us now. We're like a band and you're our roadie. That's how he compared it. Uh, because Suzuki Gun is broken up, a group of them have all got together. Uh, Taka, Michinoku, Taichi, Doki, and Kamaro, and their their action name is now just four guys. <laughs> uh, and Will Osprey, sh- and shit on them because he's starting a thing with Taichi. Goes like, "You guys are like a band breaking up, and then get back together, play the hits, and it's not even the members anyone gave a fuck about." <laughs> <laughs> also, um, the in the pre-show rumble match, Elder Sprado eliminated Hanari via nipple twister. <laughs> nice. Um, another noteworthy thing I might add: uh, Bishamon defeating FTR uh, for the IWGP Tag Team Championships. That's, I believe, FTR have now lost all three titles. Yeah. So the dream of seeing them hold four belts is uh, seemingly done. Uh, they lost the the Ring of Honor belts to the Briscoes, lost Drostico and Dragon Lee won the AAA belt, and then they lost to uh, Bishamo here. But, you know, there's a chance they, they said that when their contracts come up there, well, they might decide just to go, like, freelance, so they might be back in those companies. Uh, it, that is did review on his latest podcast, uh, which is going on a bit, where he was looking back on that dog collar match that talking about his injury to his ass, basically, his ass bone. This, he said, like, basically, the doctor said, Don't travel to Mexico and don't take any bumps. I said, Okay, and he's gonna be angry at me because I did the Mexico match anyway. Um, Dragon Lee, you mentioned there, uh, has announced he has signed with WWE and FTR. Also, you mentioned they're possibly going freelance, maybe re signing with AEW, or a possible return if Triple H is still in charge of creative to WWE. We don't quite know yet. Um, I think I think the freelancing is a bit more likely because they talked about how much they wanted to work in the, the companies that were holding the belts for like Japan and, and Ring of Honor and AAA, and like they've been wanting to work more like indies as well. But uh, I think if they're not getting booked the way they think in any WWE, and they thought like, okay, let's just take a year. We'll have our, our wrestling equivalent of a gap year, and they can go back because. <laughs> They won those IWG belts in June and they didn't get a chance to defend them until October. So that was like how they were, how they, their schedule was. I think that's a bit more likely at this point. I know. Yeah, um, but, you know, never seen it. Um, rumours that um, Sasha, eh, sorry, Mercedes Money or Money um may be appearing on AEW Dynamite this week. Uh, given how they've been booked, no one knows if FTR are going to be on Dynamite this week. But someone who is going to be on Dynamite this week is the new TNT champion, Darby Allen, winning in the main event last week in his hometown against Samoa Joe. Samoa Joe had the king of television gimmick. He's now no longer TNT champion. Yes, he's, he's been pulled off of TNT. He's been cancelled. <laughs> Yeah, it was interesting. It does go show that for now they do seem to have given up on bloody Wardlow because they did feel like, 
uh, Wardlow has been betrayed by Samoa Joe. He's wanting to take the TNT belt from him. But then I'm assuming they just like, ah, oh, but Dar- Darby got a great reaction. His match is real. Let's give the belt back to him. And I think he did win it in his hometown of Seattle. And so that was a bit, that was a nice moment for him. You know, he went out without Sting to try to prove himself. And I'll be honest with you, I think Darby holding the belt and then him, that period where he lost it to Miro, is the last like good period really of the TNT belt because it's went through a lot of shit. Like Sammy was fine for a while, but then the back and forth between him and Scorpio, then Wardlow was very forgettable as TNT champion. And then also put him in a tag team with Joe. On the fact that, oh, look, you guys have both got TV-related belts and you're big. You guys be a tag team. Uh, and then the fact that Joe beat Wardlow fairly easy in Wardlow's rematch shows that he's pretty much done for now. So hopefully Darby can make the TNT belt something worth, you know, because he didn't waste any time. He, he was right on Rampage defending against Mike Bennett, which we all got to win. Oh, yeah, the countdown signed, didn't they? Yeah, it's the thing we W at the minute. You kind of lose track of who's there and who's not. Uh, but Samoa Joe no longer a double champion. Someone else who might not be a double champion much longer is the Bloodline, Roman Reigns and the Usos. So two different stories here. The rumour being that the Bloodline's invasion of Raw, the storyline there may be that Roman Reigns ends up being stripped of the WWE title. The WWE title is Raw's main title. This past Monday on Monday Night Raw, the Judgment Day won a gauntlet match. Very interesting that no longer being referred to as the undisputed WWE Tag Team Championships every time someone's became number one contender, they've had a chance to win both belts. This is specifically for the Raw Tag Team Championships looking like heading into WrestleMania, the two titles could be split yet again. I think given I did want the title split split and you know I did think it would happen once they were off the bloodline but my opinion at this point is that the Usos and Roman have held the two titles for so long that losing one of them dilutes the feeling when they lose their main title which is the Universal and the Smackdown tag titles what are your thoughts on it? I'm more okay with the Usos losing one belt than Roman. I know people are saying, like, oh, you could have done it like Money in the Bank. You can only challenge for one belt. And like, if you had it that Paul Heyman made that decision, made that, put that in the contract, it could be a kind of, kind of a way for him like showing up, like showing his background in law and everything, you know, being the advocate or the special counsel and try to manoeuvre around it. But with the tag belts, I think you can kind of go either way with it. I mean, it was interesting that the Judgment Day, like a prominent heel group on Raw, Basically, the group that went the whole distance with that uh, match, I think they wrestled for like over an hour in that gauntlet, and it was Priest and Balor wrestling on behalf of Judgment Day, but I would love it if they did win the belts, having those two and Dominic doing kind of a Freebird-style thing. But like, like like in the New Day, they can be like Kofi and Biggie, who do most of the wrestling, but occasionally Dominic is like the Xavier Woods who gets to represent the team as well. Because <laughs> uh, like, I don't think it really affects Sammy and Kevin winning the tag belts, because they win the SmackDown belts off them, but and I know the, the brand split isn't a hard set thing at the minute, but it would be weird for Kevin Owens, the Raw guy, to then come over to Sammy and help him win the SmackDown tag belts. So for that aspect, I think maybe keep them undisputed. But for Roman, it has to be a case of like either he loses both at once or he defends to what the or he defends instead, but across WrestleMania keeps one, loses the other. I don't think he you haven't get stripped of it because. Like especially the WWE one because that was really put on him because they didn't have anything else for that belt. They put it on Brock so Roman could win it. And I think it just further devalues the WWE belt if he just gets like stripped of it. And the thing we, as much as I want to see Judgment Day as Rod Tag Champs, I think there were reports that WWE is still fairly interested in keeping Balor versus Edge. Uh, when Edge comes back, when Edge getting the definitive win over Balor, and even potentially doing a thing at Chamber of like Rhea and Finn versus Beth and Edge. Yeah, I'd, I'd be fine with both of them. Although, although I do wonder whether it not make sense to have Dominic and and Rhea both given their dynamic and the fact that Edge, you know, did get kicked in the balls by by Dominic and Carter so hard he lost his shoe and he hasn't really got his revenge yet for that. But I don't know if you've seen the clip that uh, Matthew shared from Botcha Media of Cedric had, I think it was. Sign in a headlock and he looked over it. Uh, 
<laughs> and he goes, hi, mommy. And she says, back, hi, dickhead. <laughs> I haven't seen that yet. No. But, um, yeah, I, I, I agree. Dominic and Rhea against uh, Beth and Edge would be great. Just to hear Michael call, kick that kid's ass, kick his ass. <laughs> I think they, they said that there was a plan, I think it was reported somewhere, that there was a plan for like a Hell in a Cell match around Rumble time, which a lot of people said might be Edge. So maybe if he carried the Edge and Balor thing forward, can you imagine Edge and Balor mania in a Hell in a Cell? Well, Raw's 30th anniversary is coming up. That could be a big hook for that. Um, and then obviously, because the, the Rumble, as much as a Hell in a Cell match is great, you don't watch the Rumble for anything other than said Rumbles. Um, so yeah, I... I I I hope there's would you call it? I hope we do get a hell in a cell match. I just hope it's not the rumble. And yeah, I agree with you, Dominic and Bria makes more sense. But moving on to our final story, it's Impact Wrestling's Hard to Kill this weekend, Friday the thirteenth, coming to you from Atlanta, Georgia, center stage where they used to film WCW, a ten match card. Just going to run through the card quickly, Scott, and any match that jumps out at you, other than the main event, you talk about, and then we'll go straight into the main event. So we've got on the pre-show the Death Dolls, Jessica Rosemary and Ty Valkyrie going up against Giselle Shaw. She's found another tag team to break up, Madison Rain and Tennille Dashwood, and the Vex wasn't enough. She's now found Savannah Evans, Savannah Evans and Tasha Steeles. It's going to be a six knockouts tag team match. Uh, Alan Angels, Bupinder Gujar, Kushida, Speedball Mike Bailey, Mike Jackson, and Yuyu Yurmura in a six-way match on the pre-show. Uh, the main event, Josh Alexander versus Billy Ray in a full Metal Mayhem. It's basically a TLC match for the Impact World Championship. Jordan Grace for Mickey James, title versus career for the Impact Knockout World Championship. Jonathan Gresham versus Eddie Edwards in a match nine months in the making. Fatal four-way tag team Muller Nation match for the Impact not, uh, Tag Team Championships. Morissette Machine Guns versus the Major Players versus Heath and Rhino versus Bullet Club Ace Austin and Chris Bay. Trey Miguel defending the Division Championship against Black Taurus. Fatal four-way match to determine the number one contender to the Impact Knockouts World Championship. Deanna Perazzo, Killer Kelly, Taylor Wilde and Masha Slamovich. Joe Hendry defending his Impact Digital Media title against Moose. And falls count anywhere. Rich Swan versus Steve Macklin, and breathe. <laughs> so a lot longer than I thought it was until you before you read it. Well, well. So while I catch my breath, Scott, other than the main event, what stands out to you here? What's uh, what's a match you're really looking forward to? Uh, well, there's a lot to to look forward to and get excited about on that card. But if I had to pick one, I think I'd maybe see the four way. Uh, I think you said elimination uh, tag match for the tag and tails. Also, you got the more of the same machine guns in there. Major players, a great heel, former champs, he's right And obviously, Chris Bay and Ace Austin have been a great tag team since they were kind of put together. I know they're mainly together because they're like Bullet Club and that, but whether me and Grant had to talk about them uh, for like Super Junior Tag League because they were one of the finalists for that, they were just un- undeniably one of the best teams in the tournament. I couldn't say enough good things about them. And you know, I've fallen so much in love with them as a team. Ace of Bay is what I like to call them. Uh, I wouldn't be disappointed if they got the belts. Pretty much I want any team in this match to win other than Heath and Rhino. Nothing against them. Just the other three are much more prospects to be tag team champions. Yeah, I agree. I, I heart, hand on heart, want the major players to win. Brian Myers and Matt Cardona. I've loved Brian Myers slash Kurt Hawkins since his work on NXT. Zack Ryder, I've always loved Zack Ryder. And rumours that Matt Cardona's future might not lay with impact. It might, um, he might be a surprise entrant in the Rumble. I don't know if TakeOver Talks maybe put a kibosh on that, but we could be seeing Matt Cardona retire and the return of Zack Ryder. Um, I mean, Chelsea Green supposedly signed a while ago, but they're just waiting for her plans for her, like, Triple H was supposed to She'll be in the Rumble. She'll be in the Rumble. She'll be in the Rumble, because I think Triple H was saying, like, he wanted to fill out the the participants for the Rumble. He was looking for women who were TV-ready, which is partly 
why Tanine was supposedly brought back as Emma. Uh, I could see that going out, but I don't know if you've seen somebody had like a Matt Cardo and Brian Myers like wrestling buddy thing that they sell through their podcast, and they had them at Raw and they were showing the crowd. And someone said, he, Matt, Matt Cardo showed a screenshot of it. was like, look, guys, I've made my return to WWE. <laughs> um, the big match in the card I'm going to pick out is Gresham versus Eddie Edwards. Um, we we know the the issues the former Ring of Honor champion, John Gresham, had with Tony Khan. He was expected to sign with AEW upon their purchase of Ring of Honor. He then lost the title to the former Cesaro, and then that was him. He was gone. Uh, been busy with his own promotion, Terminus. However, he was meant to be part of Team Impact uh, when they went up against Honor No More. It was later revealed that it was Eddie Edwards that took him out. Pardon me. Honor No More is No More, but Eddie Edwards... He's going to get a receipt for what he did. I'm really looking forward to this because they make a point of talking about Jonathan Gresham's matches. He never wins any two matches the same way. He is like submission moves and catch wrestling moves and high flying moves and technical wrestling moves. He is a he is an all rounder, and I'm really looking forward to this match. Yeah, same. I can't wait to see him. I think it was a great decision to have him. Uh, coming to Impact Wrestling. I mean, it's a shame everything that happened the way it did for with like, his departure from Ring of Honor and everything. After he did so much for that Ring of Honor belt, but you know, you know, I think I think he's happy there because obviously he's better to join Grace, who also works there. So you know, they're closer together. And yeah, like I said, I, I could have easily put that as well because like I think that will be your like pure like technical match of the night. Every match. Yeah, on these impact cards, what I like to see from a pay per view, much like way what was a great like New Japan card, like a Wrestle Kingdom, is, is I said before, every match having something different will provide you with a different experience. So like you got like that X Division match and the tag match on so the main show will be like kind of almost just like spot fest style matches where this will be your your pure technical, and then you got your weapons based match for the main event. So plus something yeah. for everybody. I'm not going to go into it too much, but Joe Hendry versus Moose, big meaty men slapping meat. Um, I think it's just because you're you're used to Moose being a star, and we're used to seeing Joe Hendry in our local shows in Scot uh, Scotland, in Scotland. But you forget just how big he is and how he is a legit wrestler, Commonwealth Games level wrestler. And yeah, like him going up against Moose. Big meaty men slapping meat, but unfortunately, Scott, Sorry, we need Chris. to talk about it. Sorry, go. Yeah, I think having that match also being for the digital media too, I think it's prop, the first proper match on a pay-per-view that the digital media belt hasn't been like on a pre-show. Even the match that occurred in the first champion couldn't get on the main card. So the fact that these two are involved in it, one, one guy being a former uh, Impact World Champion, and according to Joe Hedry, he's said that uh, Scott Demore talked about him and he was before even signing he said he rethinks Joe Hendry could be a future Impact World Champion you know I think it really elevates that belt as well as helping Joe Hendry get over more with the crowd because it's amazing to see how his music has put him over and uh, I don't know if he's back at the Faraday entrances because there was a clip from Impact a couple weeks ago where he made a, a version of his own music but did it about Moose oh, God well, we'll let you find that clip on your own, guys. But unfortunately, you've delayed the inevitable, Scott. We do need to talk about it. I'm going to put a five-minute timer on it, and then we'll we'll wrap up. Josh Alexander versus Billy Ray. Uh, full Metal Mayhem. This is Billy Ray's Call Your Shot Championship match. We have sung the praises since 2020 of Impact Wrestling. They've had some great matches. They've had some great partnerships with AEW and AAA and New Japan and bringing some great wrestlers over. And at Bound for Glory, we felt the first, not everything's been perfect, but the first big misstep in that time, Billy Ray winning the Call Your Shot Battle Royal when it looked like Steve Macklin was the next challenger and wait for Josh Alexander. Billy Ray wins it. He has this whole, why wouldn't anyone believe I'm a good guy? And then turns out not to be a good guy. <laughs> um, 
leading the whole point of that to be pointless. I'd rather he just came out and scalped Josh Alexander the first night and said, when I come for you, you'll know it. You know what I mean? Like, just get it over with. But Impact Wrestling does four pay-per-views a year. The rest are monthly specials. And this one is being main-evented by Billy Ray. Billy Ray, who is 51 years old. Billy Ray, who, and I know I'm going to sound like a massive hypocrite because I want The Rock to main-event WrestleMania. He's 52. He's like two months young, older than Billy Ray. But you know what? The Rock's still a draw. And Billy Ray is about seven years past his sell-by date in Impact Wrestling. I'm really not looking forward to this. The, it probably will be good because it's a TLC match, but just the whole Billy Ray involvement from the minute he won that Battle Royal back in October to now, his involvement in Impact Wrestling has has soured me on the product a wee bit. Yeah, I mean, also if anyone like wants to make that comparison, oh, we, we want the Rock to wrestle with me, hey, but Billy Ray's not the fucking Rock, both in yeah, terms of exactly. the drawing power. Yeah, exactly. It's, I'm just looking back at that that uh, that call your shot battle royal. Uh, Eric Young, Joe Henry, Steve Macklin, Rich Swan. So Eric Young, former Impact Champion, Rich Swan, former Impact Champion, PTO, former Ring of Honor Champion, Steve Macklin, the next one in waiting. We all thought uh, Moose, former Impact Champion, Sammy Callahan, former Impact Champion. Uh, Rhino, former NWA champion and ECW champion, Dreamer. Heath, who had his own uh, impact title uh, aspirations. Bobby Fish, fresh off his AEW release. And Matt Cardona making his surprise return. And they went with Billy Ray. It's just, it's baffling more and more and more. Yeah. And to be fair, you know, him actually coming on TV and being an arsehole is... Like a lot more entertaining to watch than the whole build to a uh, overdrive where like no you can't trust me no I wasn't me who who took it Ace Austin even though everyone knew it was him and then the other conversation between him and and <laughs> where he all over Tommy Junior and Tommy Junior tried to distance himself with Billy goes hey you do it so remember you stuck up for me of course it was me that took it Ace Austin like I'm sorry are you expecting that to be a jaw dropping reveal like we all know it was you who who beat up Ace Austin. Uh, and then he did the angle where he beat up uh, Scott DeMore and put him through a table. Although it, it, take, it loses a lot of it if you see that extended clip someone took at the taping where they try to light the table on fire and it wouldn't go on fire. <laughs> Shemay has already put that clip out with we didn't start the fire over it. <laughs> so that's more tolerable. So they're, they're playing up Billy Ray to his trains of being an unlikable dickhead. Uh, so okay, obviously it'll make everybody like feel better when Josh Alexander, the real homegrown hero, actually finally topples him, you know, and stays as the longest reigning impact champion. But yeah, like I said, I'm hoping that after he beats Rich Swan that Steve Macklin challenges him or maybe get a rematch with Mike Bailey, because I don't know if you've seen it, but if anyone hasn't seen it, it's the full hour is on Impact's YouTube, but there was an hour long match between Josh Alexander and Mike Bailey recently. Uh which Josh Alexander just managed to pull out the win on. So I'd love to see a rematch between those two on pay-per-view. But like, I remember I finished watching that hour-long match because people I know who also watch Impact would tell me, go watch it. And I'd much rather talk about it than talk about Billy Ray being the challenger. But <laughs> uh, I was watching it. I watched it. And I was like, that's amazing, that you know, match of the year contender. And I thought, we're getting this on free TV, but we have to, put up, we have to pay to watch Billy Ray. Yeah, it's... Not great, but the rest of the pay-per-views should suffice. Some great matches on there. And hopefully this leads to... I, I really hope, because Josh Alexander's just confirmed, uh, just passed Bobby Roode to become the longest reigning... Uh, the longest reigning Impact World Champion. Sorry, couldn't get my words out there. Uh, surpassing the likes of Sting, Kurt Angle, AJ Styles, and in second place, Bobby Roode. Um but yeah, I just I hope this is not the end of that record-breaking reign, and I also hope that we can now move towards rebellion and hopefully find a challenger for Josh Alexander worthy of the fight. 
that he has put so much into this title run. Yeah, 100%. Whether it's Macklin or Baylor or whoever else, I'd be interested in that. I, I want to see him like fight someone more like homegrown, someone more deserving. It would be make sense if he lost that rebellion, you know, like exactly one year for on from when he won it. But isn't it funny, Ross, how we were talking about the return of Vince and the tactics he used to finally claw his way back in, that in the same week we do have a show called Hard to Kill, which definitely, <laughs> definitely describes Vince McMahon. Yeah, absolutely. Um, if you want to listen to a preview of Hard to Kill, uh, our own John Isherwood for the Pile Driver newsletter actually interviews uh, Bully Ray discussing his match against Josh Alexander for the Impact World Championship. I really hope he loses. Anyway, um, don't forget you can follow us at Suplex Retweet, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. If you want to listen to our back catalogue, it's I nearly said Impact Wrestling. It's Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. Twi- uh, fuck me. <laughs> I'm having a brain fart here. It's been a long day, folks. iTunes, Anchor, Spotify, and all good Android podcasting sites is where you can find our back catalogue. Don't ask me to say any more, so I'm simply going to say goodbye to Scott. Goodbye. And goodbye to everyone else. We'll see you next week when, no doubt, Vince will have been removed again. Bye-bye. There now follows an enthusiastic advertisement for Quiz Showdown. Hello guys, welcome to Quiz Showdown. I'm Daniel Campbell and in this show you're going to see the members of the Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet team go through a very strange quiz. We don't know what the heck's going on with it, but you're going to have to watch to find out. Go check out on the YouTube channel now. That was an enthusiastic advert for Quiz Showdown.